So we've killed the Facebook pages and Twitter pages for Debatable and All the Pieces Matter. Um, they were basically acting as glorified fan pages um, that we weren't using very much. Um, if you know anything about Facebook's API, in order for people to see your posts, uh, you have to promote them. You have to put money into it, and we just didn't have the money for that investment. And as far as Twitter was concerned, we weren't doing anything with those accounts other than uh, posting new episodes. It's not like we were live tweeting or doing anything with them. So basically, our social network presence was kind of pointless. So those pages got killed. Uh, Debatable and All the Pieces Matter are in the same places that they've always been. iTunes, Tumblr, um, and you can really support the shows by going on over to iTunes, subscribing so you get new episodes when they come out, and obviously leaving a rating and review. Um, You know, it uh, exposes more people to it, uh, puts the spotlight on the shows. Tell your friends and family, spread the word. So those are the places that you can usually get us, and it'll continue to be that way. If you do want to follow us on Twitter, find out when new episodes are released, and, you know, have a back and forth, have, you know, leave feedback, have a back and forth with me and Fernando. Um, I'm Mr. Greggles, M-I-S-T-E-R-G-R-E-G-G-L-E-S, and uh, he is Arturo Morla, A-R-T-U-R-O-M-O-R-L-A. And uh, with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm so happy that uh, that Derek uh, from Action to Go Go could put us together and put us in contact because I'm always a a big fan of talking to filmmakers and certainly I'm a big fan of your Drew Struzan uh, documentary so can't wait to talk oh, about that. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. I feel like you that that's something you have to hear a lot uh, more these days, considering that uh, I'm sure all of the the uh, qu- quiet in the closet fans of Drew Struzan's work and the ones that grew up on it uh, come out of the woodwork at conventions or get in touch with you and tell you how much they love it, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really happy about that because um, I'm like a total illustration nerd, and uh, Drew is always my favorite uh artist and uh for people who don't know who he is he he's done all these iconic posters for the star wars movies and yeah. indiana jones and back to the future 
Um, so it's great hearing from all his fans because, you know, they're so passionate about him and his work like I am. But it's also been really cool uh, to talk to people who didn't know his name. Like, they knew the work, but they never thought about who did it. So Absolutely. I love I, I, I love watched- I rewatched it last night with my girlfriend. I had seen it before, but she hadn't. And uh, she was one of those. She was so surprised. She didn't know his name, but she was so surprised that all of these movies that she grew up on uh, in the 80s, uh, he did all of these iconic uh, posters for, like the Indiana Jones movies, uh, 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 the Great Muppet Caper, Goonies, all of these movies that kind of 80s children grew up on. Yeah, it's amazing because it's like it's hard to believe one human being put out that many iconic images. You know? Absolutely, and the, and his eye, his his lighting, his eye, the the uh, the almost photographically uh, real uh, stuff that he's putting in these posters, it, it's insane. Uh, you even show it in the documentary how you stand back from it and it looks like it's a photograph, and once you get up to it, you see that stippling, you see the the work that he does with the pen or the airbrushing, and uh, you can see that it's actually. Actually, uh, a really uh, well-refined artistic piece, and that's that's even oh, yeah. more mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're paintings, you know. Yeah. And and what's great is when you get really up close to them, he doesn't hide the work. He'll show the brush strokes. He'll right. show pencil work underneath, and and that's why it makes it for me. His posters uh, stand out so much more than a lot of posters that are just photoshopped or have photographs mm-hmm. uh, because it's one of a kind. Like nobody can paint Indiana Jones the way Drew does. I mean, there's other great artists who have painted him, but you know, Drew is one of a kind because it's a painter's hand and yes. nobody draws and paints exactly like anybody else. Yes. I even commented on Harrison Ford's uh, whiskers, his, his five o'clock shadow that becomes, <laughs> that's so iconic in and of itself, that kind of detail. It's amazing. Well, what's incredible too is that he actually captures the character. Like you actually see what's going on behind his eyes. You mm-hmm. can see what he's thinking. And so he can like give so much emotion in this painting. And it's it's larger than life. Where a lot of times if you have like a poster of like Matt Damon's head, you go, Oh, that's Matt Damon. <laughs> right. You know, but when you see a, a Drew Struzan painting of of Harrison Ford or of like Marty McFly, you go, oh, that's that character, uh-huh. and that's that, and it embodies the character. You know? Absolutely. Well, it's so interesting that you come from that that type of obsession because I can already tell that you've got this kind of like this this uh, geek nerd out type thing uh, uh, that that uh, everybody does for for his work. And uh, of course, I, I imagine that you were uh, you grew up as as a a movie geek. Oh yeah, hardcore movie geek. Yep. I mean. I- when I was a kid, I mean, uh, I know it's a super cliche, but uh, I was five years old when Star Wars came out, the original. That's awesome. Uh, so I saw that original <coughs> as a little kid in the theater, and it just uh, – can I curse on here? Oh, absolutely. Or, okay, it just fucking totally blew my little five-year-old brain apart because yeah. it was like I was so overwhelmed by what I was seeing. And I, from right then, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and then – after that, I started really getting into horror movies, and then I love like John Carpenter and Sam Raimi, and uh, so I'm a total film geek. You know? Did you did you grow up in New York? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in New York City. Uh, back when New York City was grimy and sleazy, <laughs> so I used to go see double bills on 42nd Street all the time as a kid. That's uh, 
because I I love genre movies. I love horror and sci-fi and uh, all that stuff. That's the great stuff to to grow up on too, especially yeah. at that age. Absolutely. Did you uh, you said that you you had an illustration type uh, obsession? Was that uh, something that was like a, a side uh, hobby, or was that something that you really focused on as you grew up? Uh, no, I loved illustration because the way it related to a lot of sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love these movies, but then you would see sort of like the production art I used to love and especially movie posters. Like when I was a kid, I mean, Drew dominated because he did so many yeah. iconic mm-hmm. posters, but you also had... You know, Amsel, you had Alvin, you had um, Frazetta doing all the barbarian mm-hmm. fantasy stuff. And, you know, you had Ralph McQuarrie who did the concept art for, right. for Star Wars. So I always loved art that was associated with movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so many of the movies that I loved growing up had a Drew Struzan poster. So I used to like look at them in the lobby and be like, oh, I can't wait to see the Goonies. You know, or I can't wait to see Big Trouble in Little China because oh, yeah. his posters were so great. You couldn't wait to see the movie. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you make a point in the, uh, even in the documentary that a lot of his posters uh, were better than a lot of the movies they were marketing. And that's, that's yeah. very true. I remember uh, seeing uh, several posters of his that I was like, that's the movie I want to see. And then seeing the movie was kind of a disappointment on the, on the other hand. Oh, yeah. Like the one we talk about in the movie is uh, Masters of the uh, Universe. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I mean, I like that movie as a fun, cheesy movie. Right. But when you see that poster, you go, oh, my God, this movie's <laughs> going to be epic. And then you go see it. It's like, this is pretty chintzy. You know? <laughs> but he made you believe you were going to see this incredible thing. You know? Absolutely. His eye for the universe. And, and usually given such little um, details, like I, I love the, the story that's, that a lot of uh, fans know about how he, uh, he came to do the poster for the thing based yeah. on, on just like. A, a, a title and a sentence, you know, n- nothing, having nothing really to work on. And uh, I was shocked by that. Like, I was shocked by how many movie posters he's done where he's never actually seen the movie. Right. And they just gave him like a synopsis and a couple of production skills, uh, uh, stills. But you're right. The thing, they gave him nothing. That's not even any images or anything, and he had one night to do it. Yeah. And it's the most evocative poster, too. It's like perfect yeah. for that movie. Absolutely. Yeah, it tells you everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> exactly. So growing up in New York and, and you're, you're a, a little film geek and you're enjoying this you know, uh, obsession, was there a trajectory that you were going to go to film school? Or how did you think, like, how am I going to make this realistic, this kind of uh, obsession that I have? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to go to film school, and I did. I went to a Pratt Institute, which nice. is an art school in Brooklyn. Uh, but growing up, I used to love like low budget B movies uh, too. Even though I loved the big spectacle movies, I always because I grew up like a blue collar kid. I always thought like, oh, that that's too hard to get to to get to direct uh, a movie on the level of Star Wars or Jaws or something. Sure. So B movies always seem like, well, maybe one day I can make a movie that'll play on Forty Second Street at, at that time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Maybe I could get a movie in, on VHS in the stores that's like a cheesy B-movie because those movies, you could see the flaws and the lack of budget. Right. 
that seemed more of a possibility. And maybe if I did a good job with that, maybe one day I could do bigger movies. You know? Right. I think there's like this uh, this inter- interesting analogy for the people that you were, were filmmakers with Roger Corman in the yeah. uh, 60s and 70s and seeing that also with the New York uh, uh, film people that kind of grew up and, and went into trauma and did kind of like trauma uh, video productions. Did you ever... I used to work- I used to work at Troma. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I love Troma. I love Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, well, I worked there in the early 90s. They were just prepping to do Tromeo and Juliet at nice, the time. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, as a kid, I loved the Toxic Avenger and like Class of Newcomb High. And, and they were like, they still are like a, a true independent yeah. uh, company. And that was, was so cool about them is they worked outside of the Hollywood system and they – Made these movies that were like so crazy, you know. He's got that. It's that pedigree. Yeah, yeah, and it and it was really fun. I mean, Trauma does everything. uh, It's guerrilla filmmaking, man. You know, I mean, they had decent sized budgets at the time, but still extremely low. And uh, and and you can. It was just. It's just a crazy place because it's. uh, you know, all the stuff they're doing is like creatures ripping off people's heads and these crazy <laughs> ideas. And, oh yeah, and it's 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 fun. Yeah, it's hardcore fun. Um, so where did you get to the point that you were going to do your own film that you were going to jump into? I'm sure you did a couple shorts, right? And then you yeah. went into doing something like a feature, like uh, Sexina, right? Yeah, I mean, I started uh, doing shorts, but yeah, you know, after a while you realize there's only so much you can do with a short. Sure, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I would, you know, back in the day, I used to show them on iFilm and different websites to showcase short films, and I'd show them at festivals and stuff. But uh, eventually I was like, I just got to jump into it and do my own uh, feature film. And uh, so I, because I didn't have a lot of money to work with, I did uh, this really campy, cheesy B-movie called Sexina Pop Star P.I. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it's about a pop star uh, who's also a private detective and she has to stop an evil robot boy band <laughs> created by Adam West. You know? It's fantastic. <laughs> and, I, and I love like all this campy stuff. Like I, I did love the Batman uh, TV series oh, with Adam West growing up. Uh-huh. So, uh, so it's a dream come true to get, actually get Adam West to play the villain. That's insane and, uh, to me because I, I wanted to ask like, you know, for a lot of people that are coming from an independent uh, area trying to get into filmmaking, it seems like the biggest uphill battle sometimes besides making a quality product is kind of getting name stars or, or recognizable yeah. names in your movie. How were you able to to, to pitch that or get uh, Adam West or, or even Davy Jones, these recognizable names involved in the project? I think uh, passion goes a long way. Yeah. So I think if you really love what you're doing and they know that you care about what you're doing, I think you can persuade them by sending a script and letting them know why you think they'd be so great in the part. Um, A lot of times, like these great actors that, you know, they might be pop culture icons, but maybe they're not working as much as they'd like to, or maybe they're... They just want to try to do something different, right, you right. know. And and there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of movies, especially in the low budget world, where 
they're sort of done because it's like, oh, if we make a movie in this genre with this name, we can make this much money. And they're so they're, they're, they're more business minded about mm-hmm. it. Right. So if you have an, an idea that you're really passionate about where you're like, no, I'm making this movie because I want to make it and my heart's in it. And they feel that you can you can persuade them, and uh, and I and I was really lucky to get Davy Jones to sing the theme song because uh, I was a big Monkees fan as a kid. <laughs> it's amazing! It's amazing. Well, let me ask you: So, what was your experience with doing a uh, low budget B movie, even you know C C movie? You know, the, this the, yeah. putting all of your 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 blood, sweat, and tears into it. What was your experience doing that? It's really fun. I mean, there's a there's a lot of obstacles in terms of you don't have money, so money can't fix any problems right. that you have. But there's something about you and a crew of people that are just grinding it out day to day, and you love what you're doing, and you're making the best out of what you got. It's a it's a real way to sort of bond with the people you're making the movie with, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a it's a huge learning experience because it was my first feature. And so it's sort of like do or die, like every day you're learning more and more. And so like even by, you know, the 10th day, you're like, oh, I'm 10 times better than I was on the first day. Exactly. Almost wish you could go back and reshoot the stuff from the first day. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but it's 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 a really fun process. Um, and uh, and it's it's a huge learning experience. And, it, and you get to work with amazingly talented people so it's really incredible a lot of problem solving i imagine too yeah you know at that at that uh uh, level you know like you said there's not anything that you can throw money at so certainly you need to come up with a solution to to problem on a day-to-day how long a a shoot cycle was it a shoot 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 schedule uh it's about 16 17 days oh that's not bad that's not bad Uh, yeah um, that's actually by today's standards, that's actually considered a pretty long shoot right. for a, a budget movie. I mean, uh, they're guys like uh, I think the Fred Olin Ray made Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so, so there are people who could grind them out, uh, but it's still not a lot of time when you compare it to studio films. I mean, oh, studio sure. films take months and months and months, and they'll spend like an entire day shooting like a quarter of a page of a mm-hmm. script. Or on a low budget movie, you got to get through it. Um, you got to get a lot of scenes in a short amount of time. You, you don't have access to locations if you don't it, like for 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 longer than you've already set up. So you can't go. Oh, we'll come back tomorrow and shoot it. It's like you get it that day or you don't. Yeah. Uh, and because of it, I think w- even though there's like less production values in in B movies and, and C movies. I think what you get is an energy level. Like there's yeah. a spirit in them that a lot of times studio movies don't have just from all the energy and, and that's being put into it. You know? Absolutely. Did you uh, shoot digital or film on that movie? We actually shot film, which really wow. is a, makes it a slower process because it was single camera film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shot it on Super 16. Um, I, I, I definitely am a film snob. Like I love the look of film oh, yeah. way more than HD or digital. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like, all right, since film unfortunately was dying at the time, I felt like this might be my last chance to actually make a movie that's shot on film. Exactly. It, it added a ton to the budget, though. 
Uh, but still, I, I grew up on movies. I wanted to make like a movie and not a video, you know. Of course, and there's that there's that uh, really distinct analogy there. I mean, where Drew Struzan is doing this painted artwork for posters, and everything now is cheap Photoshop. You know, again, seeing the the uh, um, the life behind the eyes, the light, you know, the the yeah. um, the tangibility, the texture of film versus kind of the cold uh, ones and zeros of digital. There's there's that good analogy there and what you appreciate from an uh, older time period. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in fact, that's how I met Drew was uh, talking about getting people to work with you. I uh, I begged him to do the poster for Sexina. That's how I met him. And to my shock, he actually said, yes, <laughs> he, did, he did the poster for Sexina. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, which I couldn't believe. But uh, again, at that, the reason why he did it, I think, was because I made it so clear how much I love this art and how much I love illustrated posters. And I think it's horrible. They're going away. And you're right. I think there, I think there are people who connect to stuff like Drew's work or connect to films that are shot on, on film because it, there's a quality to it that, uh, isn't the same as digital. And a lot of times the digital stuff can seem a little more hollow, I, I think. Yeah. The stuff that I used to um, obsess over would be uh, matte paintings, like the stuff that I was Me seeing too. and like The Thing and all of these classic Hollywood productions, even the stuff that they were doing on Star Wars. That That stuff's amazing to me. Oh, yeah. I love models because like models have such detail and they're real. I mean, mm-hmm. even if the thing's like it's a it's a foot long and it's supposed to be a giant spaceship, it's a real three dimensional object. Right. You know, so they're so they're they're just a lot cooler. Like I've been very lucky because of the Drew documentary that I've gotten to go to like ILM a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they have all the stuff there from the Star Wars movies or Jurassic Park or all, all you know, all these movies they've done over the years. And when you actually see models of the spaceships from Star Wars, you can, they're so cool because they're a real thing you can look at. And you can't get that from a hard drive. Like, oh, this is the hard drive that right. we did ships on. You know, <laughs> It's a dream come true. I, just to be around those models, that piece of history. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, where do you switch gears and say, hey, I'm going to go from doing kind of, you know, the, these uh, B-movies, these narrative movies where you're kind of like doing your, your own thing, kind of telling a, a story, tell, uh, having a movie uh, that you're directing, kind of switching gears to talk about subject-oriented material in a documentary space. Like, w- where does the obsession go from, you know what, I really enjoy Drew Struzan's work to, I'm going to do a documentary about his life. I think it came about because I was such a fan and and since I actually, I didn't know him well, but I knew him somewhat at that time from him doing the Sexina poster. um, I was looking for a documentary on him just as a fan Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find one. And then I thought, oh, well, this is a movie I'd like to see. I should just make it because, (laughs) you know, it's perfect. Well, it was what was cool was that. And also terrifying was that he said yes right away, which I thought it would be a lot harder to convince him. Right. And then within weeks, he said, oh, I reached out to George Lucas and he's <laughs> be in the movie. And then I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, now I really have to make this movie yeah. because now George Lucas will be in, you know, and I had him really had i didn't have the money to make it i didn't have the the resources to really do it so i had to pull it together fast i worked with the 
I got together the guys I made Sexina with, uh, Charles Ricciardi and Greg Boas. And all, and, and basically it was like, all right, George Lucas, so we could shoot at, uh, ILM with him in three weeks. So we got to go and do that. And then, uh, and so the first shoot for the entire movie was with uh, Drew Struzan and uh, George Lucas, Holy which shit. was really overwhelming. Wow. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, you have some big, big names in the documentary, these heavy hitters. you got Harrison Ford, Spielberg, yeah. Lucas, Del Toro, Darabont, to just name a few. And yeah. I imagine that I, I really, really thought that because I can tell from your personality that, again, showing that passion that maybe you got uh, people involved because all of them love Drew Struzan's work and of course they would want to be in a documentary about it but was there some pull that uh, Lucas's involvement uh, allowed for getting these other big names in there? Oh yeah I mean basically these huge people are in the movie because they love Drew's work Yeah. Um, so that's what drew them to him. Some of them know Drew personally, some of them don't really know him personally they're just fans uh but uh, George Lucas coming on board right away really, really helped. Uh, Lucasfilm was very helpful in getting us uh, Harrison Ford. Um, and what shocked me, actually, was that even though Drew had painted Harrison Ford, I mean, over Star Wars and Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and Blade Runner, he's painted him so many times. I don't even know how many, but right. it's like way up there. Uh, but they had never actually met in person before. That's insane. Um, yeah, so that was one of the cool things we were able to do is get that on film uh, that uh, you know Drew and Harrison Ford meeting for the first time and like being there for that and to make that happen was like a total geek heaven for oh, me. Yeah. You know, well you yeah. made that you made the point. I mean, even in that little clip, uh, Ford makes that point of you know that uh, Struzan basically has been good to him over the years. I mean, he yeah. he he made in many ways Ford's uh iconic uh, uh part of his career that the 80s made made that uh that face and that uh stance his heroic stance basically uh made his career in the 80s yeah he, he made him larger than life yeah you know? and what what shocked me in making the movie was that Drew poses as as Indiana Jones <laughs> yes. and all those posters absolutely <laughs> so that's Drew's body and then he puts Harrison Ford's head on his body basically that's great that's great stuff. So um, I meant to ask you. So from the narrative stuff to going to to documentary, there. I mean, there's obviously some differences. I mean, where you're not working from a, a script to, to yeah. do the movie, uh, a lot of a documentary comes together after the interviews when you're editing it and coming up with the narrative there. So. Yeah. Did you like the gestation period of being able to sit with the material, the interviews that you were doing over? How long did it take you to do the the interviews and kind of start compiling the movie? Uh, We did. We shot interviews for about a two year period. Mm -hmm. And then we were in post-production for two years. Uh, It's it's a lot of work to do a documentary. And I didn't realize actually how much more work it would be than doing a fictional film. Right. Like the cool thing about writing a script and shooting it is that you know what you're making, Mm -hmm. you shoot it out, you know what the narrative is, how, what order the scenes are supposed to be. Uh, with a narrative, there's all these, I mean, with a documentary, there's all these unknown variables. Right. So it takes so much more time because you have to get these interviews. You have to work around their schedules. Uh, you don't really know what the film is going to be about. You know what certain themes you want to address. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But uh, you end up with hours and hours and hours of footage that you then have to turn into like a, a tight 90-minute film that actually goes somewhere and, 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 is, and will keep people's interest, you know. Right, so right. It's, uh, it's, it's a huge undertaking. Actually, making documentaries in that sense is way harder than making a, a narrative film. I yeah, imagine, I imagine. And you had uh, the luck of uh, having a, a subject that didn't have, at least in the way that I see the movie, uh, there's not a lot of valleys with um, what you were you know, given you had uh, so many posters and movies and and phases of his career to to cover how he got started and everything, but you also had these moments, you know, that these little bits of of extra parts of his life where you know he he got uh, basically uh, uh, taken his the the money of his first eight uh, years of his career was yeah. basically taken by the people that were representing him. Um, you have all these like little elements of this arc of his life and. Um, it's pretty surprising that he went from absolute poverty where he was only eating twice a week to becoming this person of, of such more than cult influence, mainstream marketing influence to a lot of us. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost like it's scripted because it's so incredible because Uh it's like, it really is that rags to riches story. Like he's somebody who grew up, Without a lot, of, without money, he he went to school on his own. He didn't really have su- any support from from his family, so he was on his own, broke, going to college, eating twice a week, spending money on paints over food, right? Uh, which is how he created his style because he would use as little paint as possible to make the paint go as long as uh, as long of a way as he can without having to buy more, you know. Right. Uh, so. Um, yeah, the fact that he goes from that, having no connections in Hollywood, to then meeting his amazing wife, Dylan, and then taking those early jobs and, and then start. I, you know, one of the things I learned in making the movie was uh, about all those album covers he did. Yeah, that he had, absolutely. did all these iconic album covers before he did movie posters. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for him to make it, it really shows that talent can trump where you come from. That if you're exceptionally talented and you stick with it, there is a chance you can make it, you know? Right. And he's got this personality that just, it bleeds through every frame, every part of his uh, interview that you do with him, that he's just, you know, he's so, so genuine, down to earth, gentle, nice, you know, agreeable. He's not someone that's that's a, a, a difficult personality in the slightest, is he? No, he's, he's, he's extremely humble and he genuinely just loves to paint. That's the thing that makes him, makes him happiest in the world is painting. And he's not someone he's, – he's pretty reclusive in the sense that he doesn't like to do a lot of interviews. He doesn't do a lot of appearances because his favorite thing to do is, is to paint and he feels like, well, my work shows who I am. Right. You know? right. And so he's somebody who doesn't seek attention at all. Um, uh, it, 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 but, and yet, you know, all the, the biggest directors in the world 
love his work and 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 are always seeking him out. And so it's it's amazing to me this sort of shy person who would rather be in a studio painting ends up like one of the most famous uh, post artists in history. Right. Were there any things that you had uh, probably preconceptions about Struzan as a person or of his work that, uh, that you learned through the experience of doing the documentary might've been untrue or, or that uh, supported your original conception of him? I think the thing that surprised me the, the most was that he's not like a, a geek. You know, right. Uh, like he's not a film geek like I am. And so he's not a guy who grew up loving comic books or loving movies. He's not a guy who ever thought about doing movie posters. I mean, he wanted to be a fine artist, right. you know, and he just sort of ended up doing movie posters. But he he brought a fine artist sensibility to what he was doing because he wanted these posters to be like great works of art. Mm hmm. Right. And, you know, and even even tells me, you know, like even movies that he might not love. He goes, I know a director spent years of his life making this and I want to find the beauty in this movie or the theme of this movie and highlight it to make a beautiful piece of art, you know, based on it. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, I mean. It's interesting when this movie uh, you, you you finished uh, uh, post production on this because I imagine the conversation between you and your producing partners is how are we going to distribute this and it's interesting that this movie really as far as I know in kind of my little bubble um, really uh, benefits from being on Netflix being you know uh, very available to people to to see in that uh, in that fashion was there a question of how you were going to distribute it uh, on home video market or whatever yeah I mean that the the hardest thing to do is to get distribution um, because because the cameras and, and editing is is so um, easily available now. It's a lot easier to make movies, mm -hmm. uh, but it's harder than ever to get movies distributed. Um, I, we were very lucky that we got a lot of support in the geek world. Right. Uh, so, you know, we would do panels at, at, at Comic-Con and, and – uh, you know, websites like The Nerdist and, and other geek sites were, like, very supportive of the movie. Um, but you are right. Like, we had a, a – in terms of the exposure of Netflix because we had a 15-city theatrical release mm -hmm. and we released it on DVD and everything. Uh, but Netflix makes it available to a broader audience that might not even be into this stuff. Right. That might just casually watch it to go, let me see what this is. Right. You know, and so I've I, I've got most of the people that have told me they've seen the film have said they saw it on Netflix, and a lot of them even said like I had no idea I would even be interested in seeing a movie about a post artist, but now sure. I love this guy and his work. You know, sure. Um, and again, obviously, you have that uh, that part of the public that didn't even know his name, but now to put it with you yeah. know something as iconic as these posters. So, yeah. what was the process of of dealing with Netflix? Is it something that you had to pitch to them? Is it something that they came to and said, "Hey, you know, we see uh, someone saw this at uh, at uh, a festival screening or whatever." How what was that process of getting it uh, onto Netflix? Well, we signed with a distributor that's here in New York named uh, called Kino Lorber. Mm -hmm. And it put out a lot of art films and a lot of really great documentaries. And so they're our North American distributor. So gotcha. they made the deal with Netflix. Gotcha. 
Um, and since then, we also uh, have worked with a UK distributor. So now it's available on Netflix in the UK too. Fantastic. Um, and, you know, it, things have shifted where streaming is really how most people watch movies now. Right. right. Uh, so it, it is, it's kind of become like, you know, if, if you want a lot of people to see your movie, Netflix is where people seem to be watching the most movies. Right. So it's, it's been really helpful. I mean, with the exception of Alamo Drafthouse and maybe a couple other um, uh, mediums, I feel like that there's just not much special features in that way, though. I mean, yeah, DVD and Blu-ray still have the ability of, of having, uh, you know, extras uh, and, and uh, behind-the-scenes yeah. documentaries and, yeah. and uh, audio commentaries. But, of course, that information, that filmmaking... Uh, uh, like fi- uh, film school in a box type uh, element is kind of gone when it goes to to streaming. Is that yeah. something that you wish was more evident in in the uh, stu- in the products that you put out, especially the Drew documentary, that to kind yeah. of show people how how it was put together? Yeah, because like on on the DVD, there's um there there are special features. We have like more of the interview footage. We have uh, our Comic Con uh, panel from uh, San Diego, and we're, like Thomas Jane was on the panel, and Stu, uh, uh, Sam Witwer, and uh, and Drew, and so you know you you get these great. I'm a bonus features nerd. Oh yeah. So yeah. I do love Blu-rays, and I love like I love commentary. You know, directors' commentaries and all the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think, unfortunately, that's more of a collector's. Thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's become like a niche market thing. Uh, whereas I, you know, most I think most people tend to just want to stream things, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or catch it on a cable channel uh, on HBO or something. Right. It's a more casual thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, so what is it? So from there, uh, the Drew documentary was was humongous. I think for you, and I think that you've become. Uh, it's really kind of blown you up as as someone to look forward to when it comes to uh, documentaries. And you're working on a new one about Floyd Norman, right? Yeah, yeah. That movie's actually done. It, it's a uh, it's a documentary that I made with another incredible filmmaker named Michael Fiore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we teamed up uh, to make this film together, uh, and it's a documentary about the first African-American artist and animator to ever work for Disney. It's amazing. Yeah, and his name's Floyd Norman, and he's had this amazing career that uh, spans from uh, you know working with Walt Disney himself uh, all the way years later to working for Pixar, and he's, he's, he's just an amazing man who's, who's – Again, it's like a Drew sort of situation where his hands have been on so many classic movies, TV shows over the years, and uh, you would never know that much output came out of one incredible artist. Right. Is there something you particularly admire in a way of these visual artists, these these um, you know illustrators? Is there something that that specifically speaks to you, um, whether it be you know a, a visual interest just by being a filmmaker? Um, what what really attracts you to them? Yeah, I just I I think because I can't do it. I can't draw and paint for shit, you know? <laughs> right. It's like really bad at it. So I really just admire these incredible artists. And I and I also feel like 
a lot of artists don't get the attention they deserve. So it, it seems like, you know, actors or directors will get a lot of attention, but it's like, well, what about these incredible artists or special effects people that, you know, add so much to the movie and it's, and it's a true craft. And I, I think I'm just really interested in people that develop their talent, work hard on stuff, that have these amazing firsthand stories that if you don't hear them now, they're not going to be around forever. Right. You know? True. It's, and I'm also interested, I tend to be more interested in the way things used to be done right. Uh, right. because everything was harder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, if you were an animator, there were no shortcuts. You had to draw every cell by mm-hmm. hand. Mm-hmm. If you were like like a Drew Struzan, if you got one night to paint a poster, you can't throw stuff around on the computer back in the 80s. So you got to actually paint that thing and have a skill level that I think is uh, unique and, and worth celebrating. Absolutely. It's a true craft. It's something that, that's lost to the ages, too. You know, people are not doing it in the same fashion anymore, especially with the advent of, of computers and nonlinear editing and all that. Yeah. So where does it? Where when is uh, Floyd Norman's uh, documentary going to be coming out? Do you know in the uh, future, maybe? Well, we have things brewing. Me and my partner Michael Fiore. I can't really uh, talk about that right. stuff as it's happening. Uh, but uh, you can check out updates about the film on Facebook. It's Floyd Norman and Animated Life. Uh, I was very grateful. I made the film uh, through Michael's company, Michael Fiore Films. And um, it has screened at some film festivals. It screened at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. It screened at uh, the Bentonville uh, Film Festival where we won the Audience Award. Fantastic. And uh, so just check out our Facebook page and uh, there'll be updates. That's awesome. So that's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to, to finally seeing that. Is there anything oh, else that you're working on uh, for the future that you kind of like have uh, bubbling? <laughs> I have things that I, I, I'm interested in making films about other artists because yeah. um, that is sort of my passion. So there are definitely artists uh, that, I, that I would like to make films about. And there's just so many. I mean, right. there's countless talented people that would make for great films. But, uh, of course, everything has to come together in the right way to actually get one made. You have uh, interest in getting back to, to doing fictional features at all? I would. I'd, I'd like to do a couple more documentaries because um, there's a lot of interest in me right now yeah. in that world. And I have a track record of, of making films about artists. So I'd like to stick with that because yeah. it's really fun and rewarding. But I definitely would love to uh, make a couple more B-movies because oh, I yeah. just – they're, they're fun. Hell yeah, man. So uh, plug anything that you want to other than the Facebook uh, group. Is there anything else that uh, you want to uh, tell the people where they can find you, uh, how they can find oh, sure. the work? Uh, yeah, you can. Um, Sexina Popstar PI is uh, on DVD from Wild Eye Releasing. So you can get that on Amazon. Uh, Drew the Man Behind the Poster is pretty much available and online in every platform. And uh, and I write for the Huffington Post too. So if you ever want to read some of my articles about my filmmaking adventures, you can check that out on Huffington Post. That's awesome. So. I didn't even know about that. That's fantastic. <laughs> thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed it. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Have a good one, man. Have a good one. See ya.